this morning we're going to talk about part two of Make Room for God, about living connected. Living connected. Um, it's interesting to me. I've been, I've been doing a lot of studying over the last few weeks, doing a lot of reading, listening to some TED Talks and some other things, just trying to, trying to wrap my head around the culture of connectivity in our country. And, and what's interesting to me is this, that we're more connected today than ever before, yet we're more lonely and isolated than at any other time in our history. Um, you know, you, people say, well, I, I've got 500 friends on Facebook. Well, you keep thinking that, and you just continue to be more lonely and more lonely and more lonely and more lonely. Uh, because here's the deal. Uh, electronic connectivity uh, is not connectivity. Uh, well, yeah, but I can talk with them anytime. I can message them, and I can Instagram, and I can snap. I can do all these kind of things. That's great, and that's wonderful. But here's what you need to understand this morning. Virtual community. The term virtual community is an oxymoron. All right? It's, it's, and if you don't know what that is, a figure of speech in which apparently contradictory terms appear in conjunction. Virtual community are two terms that really don't flow together. I know what you say about Facebook. I have a Facebook page that, that it's, I'm a public figure kind of a page. I don't have Messenger. Uh, I know some of you have tried to message me through my page. I don't have Messenger, nor will I have Messenger. Uh, I'm old school. You want to talk to me, you call the office. Uh, I'll be glad to talk with you. And, and if you send me an email, I will respond. Most of the time it's this. Denise will be in touch to set up an appointment when we can talk face to face. That's just how I do it. That's how I do it. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. The alienation of technocracy has created huge, huge issues in our society. And it goes against the entire reason that we were created to begin with. And so today we're going to kind of unpack some stuff, and, and I want you to just kind of see some things from the Scripture. Um, true community, true community requires human touch. You can't do it over the Internet. I know that people try, and I know that, that uh, you know, and, and there's a lot of things that's really good about social media. There's, it's a great tool if it's used correctly and appropriately. On the other hand, there's a ton of things that play into the conflict and chaos that we have in our country today. There are things on social media that should never be put on social media. We try to handle conflict on social media. You know, and, and, and look, I, you know, I don't know what your politics are, but, you know, just because the president is on Instagram doesn't mean you should be there and do what he does. That's the least presidential thing that that man does. Okay? But here's the thing. We try to handle our conflicts that way. We want, we want, instead of sitting down face-to-face -face with someone and going, hey, I know you've got an issue with me. Let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation about this. And on social media, everybody gets a free shot. I mean, you say whatever you want to say on social media. You know, and look, I mean, I've read some of the things that have been said about me on social media. The thing about being a leader is you can't respond. I know some do, considering our president. But the truth of the matter is you can't respond. There's no reason to respond to that because, number one, that's not the biblical way of handling conflict resolution. And that's not what this teaching is about today. But I use that as an example and a springboard of going into this because you should not, you and I, none of us as human beings should do, use a social media platform to, to attack someone else. If you've got an issue with somebody, go to the source. That's what the Bible teaches us. 
But we've gotten more, more and more alienated because of technology and because of social media and things. So we don't have, a lot of people are growing, they don't even have the skills that are necessary to have decent conversations with people sometimes. All right? So let's talk about this today. We do not exist, you and I, humanity, we do not exist for self-actualization or self-gratification. We exist for God and relationship to one another. It all began with community. What are the first two words of the Bible? Let us. Right? No. What is the first two words? In the. But what did God say when he created the heavens and the earth? He said, let us, what? Make man. Let us. God is in community. If the creator of the universe lives in community, then why should we not live in community? Okay? I was listening to a TED Talk a couple weeks ago by Howard Partridge, and he talked about the power of community. I'm just going to give you a quick synopsis of what he said here because you can watch that if you, if you want to watch it in depth. But he talked about the power of community. He said community exists for three reasons. The first reason is support. In other words, helping others have the lives, live the lives that they want to have. Helping others have the lives they want, other, they want to have. Then it's for encouragement, helping others do the things they want to do. And then the third reason for community is helping others, is accountability, helping others be who they want to be. In Luke chapter 5, we see a story, and I used this last year when I talked about community, and I want, I want to use it again today because it's very important that we get the gist of this story. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is teaching. The Pharisees are, are, are all around the house where he's teaching, and there's four guys that bring a friend of theirs who's, been, who's crippled. He's on a mat. He can't walk. And they're trying to get him to Jesus because they've heard that in the presence of Jesus that there's healing. That your, their friend could, might have some help if they can get him to Jesus. Maybe he would heal their friend of his disease. So they, but they can't get into the church. They can't get into the house or whatever it is that, that Jesus is teaching at here. So what do they do? They crawl up on top of the house, tear the roof off the house, and drop, it, drop their friend down in front of Jesus where Jesus is speaking. Now, that is a picture of community. That is a picture of someone who is there for support, who is someone there for encouragement, and someone there who's for accountability, helping someone be who they want to be. This is the very picture of community that we're talking about. When we start looking at things, he was teaching, and he was Pharisees there. They were sitting there. They had come from all the villages around Galilee. Hundreds of people are thronging around this house, but they can't get their friend to Jesus for the crowds. Sometimes we will use Sunday morning crowd and go, well, I'm a part of a church, which really means I just attend Sunday mornings. And there's a difference between crowds and friends. A big difference. Now, what I don't want you to think is that you can, that you can really, truly have hundreds of friends. Facebook will like to let you, let you feel that way, but you really can't. Truth of the matter is, three, four, maybe five friends that you can have that are, that are what you would consider true friends and close people that would be there to support you, to encourage you, and to hold you accountable if need be. All right? But there's a big difference between Sunday morning. Why, why, why is community so important at GNU? Because for so many years, we've just been about Sunday morning, Wednesday night. We've just been about the big meeting room and what goes on in here. And we can no longer exist in that, in that arena. 
We're still going to have high-quality worship experiences on the weekends. We're still going to do Wednesday night. But Wednesday night now is dedicated specifically for group life. But it's not limited to that. There are groups that are meeting today. There are going to be groups meeting this afternoon. There's going to be groups meeting every night of the week. But Wednesday night is the night when we as a church provide child care for you so that you can meet, whether it's here on campus or off campus, and so that you can get involved in a group to get to know someone that might be able to bring support, encouragement, and accountability into your life. That's what God expects of us. When he gives us the model in Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He did all of these things, but there came a point in time when he brought out his own community. Let us make man. Who is us? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Trinity. God gives us the example of community. Solomon said that we, that, that we have to be in a relationship with people because a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Two people can stand back to back and they can fight and they can watch everything, but three is even better. With all of these things in Scripture, we have to understand the importance of connectivity. What I want you to see about our text today is that there's a contrast between crowds and four friends. The crowd can actually be an inhibitor that keeps you from coming to the real Jesus and his transforming power. They couldn't get Jesus, they couldn't get their friend to Jesus for the preachers in the crowd. All the religious leaders were there. They were thronging to hear Jesus. And they couldn't get the person that needed him most to Jesus so what did they do? They improvised. They tore the roof off the house and dropped their friend down by ropes in the front of Jesus. If all we settle for is the crowd, then we're going to miss out on a key element to spiritual formation in our life. They connect Jesus. They connect their friend to Jesus at any cost. They do everything that they possibly can do to get their paralyzed friend in front of Jesus. They knew their friend's condition. They knew his struggle in life and the daily pain that it caused him. And they also knew his heart's desire to be made whole. You have people in your life that don't know Jesus today that will never come into a building like this on a Sunday morning. They'll never darken the doors of a church, per se, to go to a church service. But yet they may come to a small group in your home or in the home of one of your friends or acquaintances. They may come on a Wednesday night to a small classroom where it's a smaller setting and it's less intimidating. We have to recognize the, the state of the world around us. And that is that people are lost and in need of Jesus. Can I get a witness to that this morning? People need Jesus. They need what we claim to have in here. What are we doing to bring them to the presence of Jesus? Are we willing to tear the roof off of a house to drop your friend who's paralyzed with fear and anxiety and depression? Are we willing to bring, do what is necessary to bring them to the face of, so they can sit at the feet of Jesus and be healed? Are we willing to do what's necessary? Or are we going to settle for the crowd concept? Well, we have altars at the end. Our prayer team's here. And we'll, maybe, they may never come in here. If we're going to grow larger and we are growing larger, we have to grow smaller. Now, for some, that, people look at me like, oh, that didn't make any sense, Phil. It's kind of like this. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. If we don't grow smaller, we never grow larger. Because then it becomes all about the crowd. And it can't be about the crowd. If we're going to be formed in the image of Christ, we have to bring it down to a smaller part. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians. So we cared for you because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, notice this, not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. 
We were delighted to do this. Not just to share the gospel, but to share our lives. You look at the book of Acts, chapter 2, what you see when the Holy Spirit is poured out, you see these things. Right at the end of that chapter, you see the church coming together. And they're, and they're, they're sitting at the apostles' feet, they're listening to the teaching, and they've given themselves to prayer and the apostles' teaching, and then they meet in homes, and they have fellowship with one another, they eat meals together, they take the Lord's Supper together, they do all this kind of stuff, and then at the end it said, and enjoy the favor of all mankind. Why did they enjoy the favor? Because they saw an element of their society setting aside differences long enough to come around a common purpose and living together in unity. That's important. You take the C-O-M-M off of community and what do you have left? Unity. That's what we have left is the unity. How do we share our lives? I can tell you, and I use a lot of personal experiences in here because I've just been around here forever and, and I just, I know myself better than anything else and I can share with my experiences better than I can share somebody else's. Went through, a, went through a difficult time in 2007 and, uh, you know, the base had drawn down at the end of 2006. We lost about 300 people over, over about 30 or 45 days when the 33rd fighter wing went away and, and all the F-15s left out of here. No one was expecting this place to go that way. We knew it was gonna, there were some changes coming to the base, but no one expected that, and we certainly didn't expect to have 300 people disappear between October 1 and November 1 of 2006, but we did. And we had just spent $2 million, $2.2 million in, in renovations and new buildings and everything else here because we were preparing for the F-35 to be here. And we were growing on a, on a pretty steep trajectory of growth. But we had 300 people that exited in 30 days. It threw everything into a tailspin. And throughout that year, some, throughout 2007, by the time we got to 2000, September of 2007, we had to lay people off because the finances were upside down. And it was just a horrible time. And I had a personal thing happen to me with a, with a relationship that just went south. And it, and it ended, and it was not a pretty thing. It was ugly. And, uh, and uh, thank God, we, he and I have reconciled, and we're, we're friends to this day. And I, I would do anything for him, and I know he would for me as well. But in the process of all that, Three guys in this church came to, to me one Sunday and said, Pastor, we want to do something for you. And I said, what's that? They said, we want to pray with you after every service. And so starting in October of that year, November of that year, 2007, after every service in that prayer room, I, I go in there, and they're usually in there, sometimes three of them, sometimes two of them, sometimes just one of them. But we go in there, and after every service, they pray for me. And at first, it was a little weird for me, okay? I'm just going to be straight up honest with you because that's just it's not something that, that I was asking for. Quite honestly, I probably was so arrogant about it that I probably didn't think I needed it initially. But there's a personality side of me that's a little weird, and I know it's odd when I talk to, the, talk to you about this because I'm an extreme introvert. I prefer solitude. I would prefer going into a hole and pulling the hole in after me. That's just kind of, that's just how God made me. In addition to that, I've been a little bit of a nonconformist when it comes to church and the way churches do things and the way churches operate. Kind of a rogue, maverick kind of a guy. I know some of you never noticed that about me, but, that's just kinda, that's but, but it is. And, and so when you've got that and you're introverted and, and, and someone says, hey, we want to pray with you after church, I'm just kind of going, yeah, but I, these guys were older than me and I respected them. And so I said, okay. 
You know, part of it, my dad's going to be, my mom and dad will be in the next service, but my dad always taught me from the time I was a little boy, he said, son, you just, and he used this term, saddle your own bronx. Saddle your own bronx. Don't link, you just, you're strong enough, you do it, you just pick it up and you carry it. And I always felt like if I get my shoulders under it, I could carry it. But when that thing happened in 2007, and these guys come to me and said, we want to pray with you, we want to cover you with prayer every Sunday after every service because we just feel like you're under an attack and all this other stuff is coming from every different direction. And so they started praying for me. And here we are 13 years later, and almost every Sunday, one or two of these guys are praying with me in this prayer room over here. And it's something that I've, that I've lived with that, I, that I've actually become so uh, needful and mindful of now that when it doesn't happen, I, I miss it. I miss it. And I have a great deal of respect for these three men, and, and, I, and, and they pray for me all, every Sunday, and I, and I appreciate it so much. But it, be, it be developed an aspect of community in my life. In addition to that, down through the years, Kim and I have three couples that, that have come alongside of us through difficult situations throughout our ministry and throughout our family and all this. And since, since probably 2007, 2008, these three couples, anytime there's something a little bit sideways with the Daniels family, we, we send them a text or pick up a phone call, and these three couples just surround us in prayer every time, all the time. They're just prayer partners. They pray for us. We go on mission trip. We travel. They're praying for us. They just, and we've, we've developed a community around these individuals and just in prayer. I'm just using prayer as an example here. There are other, there's another community or two that Kim and I are involved in in the church that we somehow, somehow has very little spirituality to do with anything. We just like being around each other. So I'm saying, I'm telling you to say this, that look, all of us are in need of community. We're all in need of that connectivity with people. And you can't get that through um, your phone and through your iPad and through your computer. You can't get that over the internet. Two years ago, I was invited to attend a thing on Thursday morning. And it's just a group of lead pastors in the area that, that called and said, hey, we're doing this on Thursday morning. We'd love to have you come and be a part of it. And, and it was just one of those deals where initially I just thought, I really don't want to do that. It's just another morning, another meeting, another something. And, but I, I just, can I just be real transparent with you guys this morning? Okay. Sometimes when you're an introvert, you can be a horse's rear. Okay, does that make sense? Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> I see wives, elbow and husbands all over the room all of a sudden. But here's the thing. When you stand alone in whatever field that you're in, there's going to be a point in time when you wake up and realize, guess what? You're alone. And I've got, I've got a lot of acquaintances and people that, are, that I feel considered close to me, but I don't have a lot of people that I consider close to me that are in ministry. And having been in a secular world for a, for a while and now been in the ministry for a long time, I can tell you there's two very different, there are two very different animals. So I started going to meet with these guys. I went one time, I thought, I'll just go do this. I told Kim, I said, I'm going to go fill this square, and, and this is probably the only time I do it, but I'm going to go do it. I go in there that day, there's five of us. We're sitting there, and something happens in that meeting. I, don't, I can't explain it. All I can tell you is this, that... that I meet with those guys. I've been meeting with those guys every Thursday morning now for two years, almost three years. And those guys have become a lifeline for me. I love those guys. I would do anything for those guys. All different ages. It's kind of a harsh reality when you realize that you're the old guy in the room. 
you know. All these guys are younger than me, but yet they pour into my life on a weekly basis. I'm telling you this so that you can understand that community is vital for everybody. Everybody needs community of some sort. Let me give you four things here that are the importance of living connected. Spiritual formation happens in community. Robert Mulholland said this, spiritual formation is a process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. Do you understand that your maturing in Christ has nothing, it, it has a lot to do with you, but it's not, that's, the, that's not the purpose of it? You being formed in the image of Jesus is about the people that you're going to come in contact with. It's more about others than it is for you personally. Which is interesting to me because we, we do run, we run into this a lot of times, and I know you run into it as well. You get to a point where you feel like, I just need more teaching, I just need more teaching, I just need more teaching. And what we have to understand is there comes a point in time when we have to push away from the table and bring other people into the situation. And pour into it, but, but I'm unworthy. We're all unworthy. Thank God for the blood of Jesus that makes us worthy to be called the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Okay? But when it comes to spiritual formation... That happens only in communities. You say, well, I, I just want to go be in a, in a monastery somewhere. That's great and that's wonderful. But spiritual formation is multiplied in community. That's why when we brought Tommy Brown here, he is the community and spiritual formation pastor because you can't separate the two out. You've got to be around people. If you're going to grow spiritually, you have to be around other individuals. Discipleship, look at this equation. Discipleship equals relationship plus intentionality. It happens in the context of genuine relationships. If the people in the relationships are intentional about becoming the people of God. Are they intentional about that? It's not a program where goals are achieved, but a purposeful helping people live through every day according to God's plan. Spiritual formation happen, happens in community. Number two, the presence of God flows in community. Well, the presence of God can flow through my life when I'm alone. It can. It can. But I go back through the whole concept of Scripture, let us make man. Let us. Okay? We see something happening in the book of Genesis at, at, at Babel. And the Trinity looks down and they see the unity of mankind and they go, nothing will be withheld from them. They will be able, we're making a tower to the heavens. They, God said to, to the Trinity, he said, they will be able to accomplish this because they are unified in their purpose. They speak the same language, they're unified in their purpose. He confused the tongues because... They were trying to do what Adam and Eve did in, in, in Eden. They were trying to be like God. And that couldn't happen because he knew that Jesus was going to have to come and die at some point in the future. Matthew 18 says, where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Now, I'm taking this a little bit out of context because this passage is not about unity in worship. It's about restoration of a brother who's fallen in sin or sister in sin. But here's what I want you to understand. The key is not where two or three are gathered. It's, it's where two or three are gathered in my name. Yes, I am taking it out of context, but I'm putting it in the meta-narrative of Scripture. Let us make man in our image. All the way through, the disciples, Jesus, he had 12, 
He had three. He had one. All in community together. The disciples, the apostles, worked in groups in two and three together as they went out. He sent out the 70. What are, what are we saying here? We're saying that there is a concept of unity when there's unity between a group of individuals about a common purpose, around a common purpose, moving toward intentional growth in Jesus, that something happens and the presence of God is there. The presence of God is there. Not to mention that Scripture does say that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The next thing, healing. Healing happens in community. What about the friends? How was he going to get to Jesus? I thought about something this morning as I was kind of looking over this. It just kind of hit me. And, and, and I'm, this is not, I'm not saying this is what happened. I'm just saying, what if this guy was one of the sick and afflicted individuals at the pool? And Jesus stepped over him to heal the one guy and walk away. It's an interesting concept. So his friends did what? They picked him up. They took him to where Jesus was. They couldn't get to him before the crowd. But yet they were not, they were not satisfied with just taking him back to wherever, whether it was the pool or the house or whatever. So they tore the roof off the house. And they let him down. And the rest is history because Jesus forgives his sins, heals his body, and he's walking. Why? Because his friends supported, encouraged, and held him accountable and took him to, to where Jesus was. And healing took place in that scenario. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confession in, in, happens in community. It doesn't mean that you come up here on top of the platform and go, hey, I did this this week. That's not what it's talking about. It's in your group. It's in your, in your influence, in your small group of individuals where you have these conversations. You go, look, I've, I've been struggling with this. And so what is that? I'm just laying it out here. I'm being, I'm being authentic. I'm being transparent. I have this struggle in my life. And the people that are close to you, your three, four, five, six people, whatever it is in your small group, they come around you and they pray for you so that healing happens in your life. Healing happens in community. Listen, to, Jesus lives in the intimacy of authentic community. In the midst of two or three, I can experience the presence and the healing of Jesus that I can't when I am by myself. Pastor Jeff made, he sent something to me this week. I think he sent it out to the folks in CR, but here's what he said. So many people suffer in silence either because of shame in their past, uncertainty in present circumstances, or because they fear the future. When our shame and our struggles are shared, their power over us diminishes. What a powerful statement. Healing happens in community. Security happens in community. Look, we say, and we're trying, we've been trying for years to get to a point where nobody fights alone. And we fail miserably at times. Okay? We really do. But then there are just those times when we have to recognize, we have to step back and realize that if we are really in true community, that we have the support, the encouragement, and the accountability that we need. And we have people, when we confess our faults, they pray for us, and healing occurs in our lives. But if you get cut out of the herd, if you get separated from it, you're easy prey. 
People that have decided to just, I'm just going to stay home and watch it online, and I appreciate you're listening this morning online. Great. Thank you for tuning in today, but here's what I need to tell you. Don't settle for that. If it's the only way because of work and everything else in your situation, then I get it. But if, it's, if, you, if there's any way that you can get and be a part of community, not just on Sunday morning but in, in small groups, then you should do that because it's important that we get there. You get cut out of the herd, it's on the individual. It's not on the church. It's on the individual to stay connected and receive the help that's offered. Receive the help that's offered. Pastor Jeff comes and sees you if you're in the the hospital and you need to visit and you let him know, he's going to come and see you. Yeah, but I want Pastor Phil to come see me. If I'm free, I can do that, but it's rare that I have that kind of time. My schedule is very, very hectic. But that's why Jeff's here. Yeah, but I want the lead guy. Well, why? Jeff's better prayer than I am. (laughs) But here's the other side of it. Jeff is also my heart and hands extended to you. Just like Pastor Tommy and Pastor Charlie and Pastor Luke and Pastor Kira, all those individuals, they're extensions of me. Accept the help that's offered in whatever form that's offered there. Hebrews 10, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is a matter of some, but exhorting one another and so much more the more you see the day approaching. We need community. We need to live connected. If we're going to make room for God in our life, then we've got to make room for connectivity. It has to happen in our life. It has to happen in our life. I read a story. It happened on October the 2nd, 2006 in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Some of you may remember the headlines, uh, the Amish schoolhouse shooting. A man by the name of Charles Roberts shot 10 little girls, killing five before he killed himself. Marie Monville, who is the widow of the shooter, she was the wife of the shooter at the time. Within a few hours, this is her speaking, within a few hours of the shooting, people came and extended comfort and forgiveness. People in the Amish community. Now get this, but it didn't end there. When they were at the funeral of her husband, her family was being besieged by media. The Amish people, now these are the people that lost daughters in the shooting. They surrounded her and her family. They turned their backs to the cameras and they shielded her so the media couldn't get to her. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable that they would do this. She said they turned their backs to the cameras So the only pictures that could be taken were of them and not our family. And it was amazing to me that they would choose to do that for us. It was amazing. It was one of those moments during the week where my breath was taken away, but not because of the evil, but because of the love. You say, well, Phil, what does that have to do with community? It has everything to do with community. It has everything to do with the reality that when we truly want to be in the image of Christ, it will take us to extremes. It will take us to a place where even in the midst of it, I, and she, as I read more and more, the, I, I read I, all kind of articles and writings, and she's written a book now and everything else, but I just, as I read that, even some of the individuals who lost their daughters that day came to her within 
the day that the shooting took place or the next day or two and said, look, we love you. We're hurting, we're in pain, but we extend our forgiveness to your husband, but we want you to know that we love you and support you. And then they, they magnified that on the day they buried her husband by surrounding her so the media couldn't get to her. I think that's an example for us of what true community can be. The support, the encouragement, the accountability, all those things that are involved in community. I honestly think that we can say about that group of Amish individuals that did this for this family, that they were living Jesus. I mean, after all, Jesus is dying on the cross for all of our sins, and he looks down at the people that had nailed him there and beaten him, spat on him, and everything else, and he said, Father, forgive them, because they really don't understand what they're doing. And then he died. May Generations United Church be formed into the image of Christ so that we show extreme love to those we come in contact with. Amen? Let's stand all over the room.